Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness. Um, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Janina and Christian to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. They're members of the Al-Anon family groups, and they'll share their experience of living with the effects of alcoholism and how Al-Anon helps them. Um, now, usually we, we talk about growing up. How, what, what was our experience growing up, and how did we figure out that alcoholism was a problem? So, Janina, do you want to share what, what your, I guess, introduction to the family disease of alcoholism was, given your dad was an alcoholic? Well, I wasn't actually aware that my father was an alcoholic until I started attending Al-Anon meetings. Um, it just seemed to be the norm that he was drunk on a daily basis. Um, Mum had to go to work because there was no money. Um, but it was mainly the, the raging and... and the, the violence or the verbal abuse and my dad being a rageaholic, that um, they're the memories that I have of growing up in an alcoholic home. So what what was it like for you um, and how old were you and what's, what sort of things did you experience? Um, good question. Um, I know that as a, a young girl I was terrified of my father um, because of the, the mood swings that he had. He pretty much was either drunk or depressed and when he was drunk he was really angry um, and then when he was sober or depressed he was still unapproachable so he more or less just sat in the kitchen in the corner um, just like a, another person in the house but not participating. Right so how did that make you feel? Um, because I was terrified of him I pretty much um, well I was fearful all the time and I know by the time I was 10, his, his anger um, caused me to become silenced or, yeah, I just withdrew and I, I um, wouldn't complain about anything because I was too frightened to say anything. And, and in our house, it was a case of, you know, stop crying or if you, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty common in uh, alcoholic families that uh, if you show any sort of weakness, it's um, it's concentrated on very quickly, yeah. Um, so what was it like at school? Did you feel that you fitted in or did you feel like there was something different even then? No, in um, primary school I remember, you know, I grew up with a, in, a, in an area where there were lots and lots of migrants and I actually changed my name from Janina to Jenny because I wanted to be Aussie. <laughs> Um, but I still had difficulty making friends at, in primary school. Um, I went to two different high schools. Um, one, the, um, the religious school, that was quite good. I made quite a few friends there, but then I left in year 10. And by that time, I, um, I had become completely withdrawn. I managed to make friends with one girl from the same ethnic background, um, but that was it. Um, and then I played sport. I played a lot of sport while I was in high school. 
and usually with the boys because they played basketball and volleyball, which the girls didn't do. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so how did how did the disease progress in your family, and what sort of effect did it have on you with your dad's drinking? Um, I came, became extremely withdrawn. Uh, my mother, by the time I got to my mid-teens, had developed a severe mental illness and in the end I think it was more her behaviour that affected me than my father's drinking. Um, and I ended up running away from home when I was 18 because I just um, I'd had enough, I guess. There was lots of physical and verbal abuse and yeah, I made the decision to leave. So what was that like for you? That How long did you stay away? And I came back the following year because I had just begun Year 12 um, and I went back the following year to complete Year 12 um, and then ended up uh, moving into state to study tertiary education over there. Right, OK. Um, so, um, Christian, you, you had a very different upbringing, born overseas, so what was it like you know, being born into a, an alcoholic family? It was... Um Oh, as a child, you don't know any different. And um, but um, yeah, my earliest memories is of my dad being very sick, and it was dark, and I was reaching out for my mother. We we're on holidays, I think, somewhere, and uh, my mum wasn't there. She was trying to look after dad, and uh, this is when I was about two. So I always felt um, that dad's illness, because it was. You was being physically ill at that stage, um, uh, trying to get rid of the poison that alcohol gives gives you. Uh, he was vomiting, I think. Yeah, you know, I just felt isolated, and that didn't change for many, many years. Right. Um, so you you were born, in, I think you said in Chile. Yes. So. And I understand there was a lot of political unrest at that stage, which I think your father was affected by as well. So I think he was. Yeah. I mean, he probably wouldn't admit it, but um, a lot of his uh, classmates from uni uh, either disappeared or were imprisoned, and there was a uh, fascist dictatorship uh, there. And, um, yeah, I think it had a huge effect on him. He um, made him very paranoid, um, I don't know if he was paranoid before all that stuff happened, but uh, I, I think that fear that um, of living in um, a regime like that, I think a lot of people who live in, who grew up or were affected by sort of state-sponsored terrorism, um, you know, if you survive it, uh, whether you're um, actually affected by it firsthand, secondhand, it's... It's designed to make you live in fear. And, um, yeah, I think, unfortunately, Dad, and probably to a lesser extent my mother, lived in that fear um, that, you know, people just disappeared off the streets, um, even after the coup in 1973 for a long, long time afterwards. People just were gone, and it creates huge paranoia. Yeah. Amongst other things. Yeah. So your family migrated when you were about four years old into Melbourne. So That's right. How did that? Did that change anything? No, because the fear was still there. I think uh, whether it was, um, I don't know. I think it's something you wear. Um, it's like putting on your fear fear jacket every morning, you know. And that got 
I inherited that fear, uh, that paranoia. And Dad's drinking just exacerbated it. And Mum trying to cope with my father's drinking and his behaviour became more and more out of control. Um, it just added to my fear of growing up. And I knew that there was something wrong. I didn't realise that it actually had more to do with um, uh, mental problems and uh, alcohol abuse. I thought it was my fault. As a child, you tend to take over, become over-responsible. I've learnt that from other people who grew up in alcoholic families and you just take it all on and you think it's all your fault and I felt that way until probably my late 30s um, you know, I'm 48 now but uh, until I came into uh, some 12-step recovery I, I just blamed myself for everything and um, yeah, I just I don't know if that was the role I had in the family but you know, it was all my fault. If I wasn't born, Mum could have left Dad. Then Mum wouldn't have been abused. Uh, so it all came back to the fact that I, it was my my birth that caused all these problems. And I blew them all out of proportion. Um, because the reality is I'm not... I'm not um, I'm, I was just a kid. Yeah, I, that's I just, right. I just took it all on board. It was all my fault. Yeah, yeah. that's very common. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so your mum couldn't really cope with your dad's drinking? No, I don't think anyone could. Because um, even when he wasn't drunk, he was very paranoid and he'd accuse mum of having affairs. And and I was always worried that um, he'd do something physically to her. But in the meantime, um, I can't really remember physical violence in my house. But I know my mum had to just... Um, do basically sexual favours for him, so he'd leave me and my brother alone, mm. and that just that's just tore me apart for decades. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. it's um it's like a secondhand abuse sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, that added to the the feeling that um you know if I wasn't alive, Mum could have left, and uh, it's a pretty strange feeling to have you know even in your pre-teens to think that way. Yeah, and uh, you don't realise until you get a bit of recovery how mad that thinking is. But you know, if you asked me, um, I don't know, twenty years ago, I would have told you that it's all my fault. If I wasn't born, Mum could have left. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, for some reason, life didn't work out that way. And no. you know, it's not my fault. Yeah, it's just the way things happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Janina, you you ran away at eighteen. And then you came back after a year to finish your education. So, um, what? Then then I went away again. (laughs) I went into state to further my education. But I had met, uh, it was one of my oldest brother's friends um, when I was 13, I think. We were at one of our ethnic camps, youth camps. And I remember seeing this guy who, and the attraction to him was that he was a rebel. And I had become so withdrawn and, and I had actually become mute. Um, it's not that I didn't have... I could still talk, but I refused to talk um, because I was too frightened to talk in the home. And so this this young lad, he was 18, I was 13, um, yeah, the rebel that he was and the stripe that he used to get into, I found that highly attractive. <laughs> as you do as a child. <laughs> 
So um, how did the relationship progress then? If you were interstate, it must have been rather difficult. Well, it was. You know, either he would come over or I would go come back to Melbourne um, about every six weeks. And things were okay until probably the last year before we got married. And I just noticed there were a couple of things that really annoyed me. Like um, when I arrived in Melbourne, you know, you'd have to... The train arrived at a particular time and I can remember one day we had to wait an hour and a half and this is long before mobile phones Um, and I just remember feeling really frustrated and angry that I had come all this distance and he only had a few k's to come to the station and couldn't come on time Um, and then later in the year while I was still interstate um, I was moving from one place to another and he had arrived and he was so angry because I wasn't home when uh, when he got there. Mind you, he, did, he was so angry that he didn't even see that he had passed me on the road. <laughs> and I remember it's classic, that. isn't it? <laughs> um, so you married him? Yes. And how did that work out? Um, it wasn't, well, it wasn't great, Um we got into lots of arguments. We were living with his mother in um, in her house for the first five years of our marriage. So that put an um, extra strain on. Um, and I found it difficult living with her because she it was her house and she made it very clear that it was her house and her rules. Um, and the drinking wasn't highlighted that much because I was working and, you know, still having a bit of a social life with my work friends. <clears throat> it wasn't until I... Um, started having babies, that his drinking really became accentuated for me. Um, And when the children were small, when I really needed his help, um, he just wasn't there. A lot of his drinking took place outside the home and he would often come home really late. Um, So I just felt completely abandoned. And then, of course, I got angry and full of self-pity and... um, didn't help the situation at all. So did you speak up at this point? Did you find your voice? I would complain. Yeah. Um, To him or? To him. Yeah. Yeah, very, yeah. It's funny, yeah, I look back as I, in my childhood, I didn't dare say anything and then when I got married, see, being European too, you know, you're an adult, you're considered an adult when you're 21, so I thought I had licence to complain. (laughs) And I did. Um... And I realise now that, you know, it certainly didn't help situations. In fact, it made things worse, a lot worse. Yeah. So what was life like then if you had, I think you said you had three young children. So what's it like to have an alcoholic husband, three young children, not enough money, and and your husband's spending a lot of money on alcohol? What's What's that like to live? I remember being full of anger, resentment, a lot of self-pity, um, and then there was a part of me, because I was the female in the in the family as a child, and I had older brothers. The European thing is, well, you know, the girls do all. Well, this is my thinking: the girls do all the work, the boys had all the power, the girls did all the work, um, and I just felt that it was my job just to keep the whole situation running. Um, but I wasn't happy about it. Okay. Um. Christian, you have, um, you're living at home 
your mum's pretty frustrated. Your mum's upset with your dad and upset with your kids. So what what happens next? Um, that anger gets transferred. I mean, you can't keep it inside. So mum would just um, rage a lot. Um, yeah. And it's quite weird. Um, I didn't realise it was raging or anger until much, much later. But um, what I got taught, for example, from both my parents was you take your anger out on the weakest person. So that's what I did. I um, had a younger brother who had um, sort of intellectual difficulties and he had trouble with his coordination, physical coordination. So I was going to school. I had a drunk father, a mum that screamed a lot, and, you know, a, a brother who was a bit weird. And um, I just um, I just wanted to get angry. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really trying to judge myself, but that helped with the fact that, um, you know, I started picking on my brother because that's... What you did, you picked on the weakest person in my family. And, um, yeah, so I um, unfortunately picked on my brother. We all did. And uh, he became a scapegoat for a lot of the family problems. Um, And, uh, yeah, and um, he unfortunately got sicker and sicker. And uh, by the time he was 16, nearly 17, he actually was diagnosed with schizophrenia after burning the family home down. So it was, uh, yeah, my mum had more stuff to be angry about, and I don't blame her, I mean, but uh, I can sort of laugh at it now, but it it still hurts um, that my brother got that sick and mum and dad weren't really there for him. And, um, yeah, it's they just weren't prepared to have someone with such disabilities in their family. I don't know how many people are, but, you know, my family definitely was not able to cope with the regular part of life. And then they have a child who is sick um, like that and take up so much time. It it caused them to, um, you know, it, my mum and dad's marriage broke apart and then I blamed myself for that. I'm good at blaming myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I would have won a gold medal for taking the blame for things if they had that as an Olympic sport. But, um, yeah, I just grew up blaming myself, uh, which in the end made me um, full of self-pity. And um, I never realised how self-destructive that self-pity is until I um, started going to 12-step programs. Mm. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. There are 25 episodes of Living Free available as podcasts now um, on the Living Free webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free, and they're also available on iTunes. There's also plenty of great podcasts of other 3CR CR shows available on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. If you have a question or comment about the show, you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. 
Uh, we usually do a couple of announcements here, and we've got one today for the um, Communities of Sound, which is a joint 3CR and City of Yarra uh, event. So I'll play you a quick CSA. Communities of Sound is a 3CR curated lineup of summer afternoon performances showcasing treaty, creative women, and diverse cultures. Join us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre on Sunday, February 18th, between 5 and 7.30 p.m. to enjoy live performances from Kucha Edwards, Tando, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Njali, June Jones, and Danny Sib. Pack a picnic to share with friends and family or grab a tasty bite and bevy from the 3CR food store. That's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 till 7.30 p.m. at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For further details, call 94198377 or check out our website at 3cr.org.au. Presented as part of the City of Yarra's Fairfield in Feb series alongside Play On and Melbourne Ukulele Collective. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. I'm talking with Janina and Christian um, and they're both members of Alaron Family Groups and we're talking about living with alcoholism um, and Janina um, you you had kids so being the mother of adult children what's it like thinking back to your mother's situation and you know so I remember it was probably a probably about 30 when I sat back and I compared my life to my mother's life and I thought my life was pretty cushy, although looking back it really wasn't because of all the drinking and the domestic violence. But my mother had experienced a whole lot of other things like, um, you know, surviving a war and fleeing from her country of origin um, and then coming out here and pretty much being abandoned. Um, she lived in a refugee camp for three, three five years um, before, you know, the whole family got back together again while my father worked on the other side of... Um, the peninsula um, but it's interesting listening to Christian now and hearing how he can put things into words that even now looking back I had a well I, I just couldn't put things into words <clears throat> when I was um, a teenager or even a, a young adult and the other thing that I picked up is that when I came into Al-Anon I thought it was the drinkers fault now, I was, you know, we talk about alcoholism as a, a disease of extremes. So I came into Alan on thinking it was all my husband's fault. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, one of the first questions that Alan on asks is how did you provoke or how do you contribute? And, you know, as the sober person in the house, but undiagnosed that I've been affected by someone else's drinking, I probably created just as much, if not more damage than my husband did and um, you know I've got two adult children now and um, it's really interesting to watch them and how they develop and how they take on life um, and they they certainly have their own problems yeah that is directly um, related to alcoholism yeah so did they seek help um, well my oldest one developed a mental illness and he suicided um, uh, and another one has finally I think he sought help a few times but he as far as I know he's still getting help 
Okay, right. Um, yeah, it doesn't really matter who gets help in a family because as soon as somebody gets help, it impacts everybody else. The alcoholic can't continue to do what they're doing if somebody changes what, what they've done. And it's the same for other members of the family. So if you, if you change what you're doing, everybody else has got to change around you because you don't respond the same way. You don't react and all that. Yeah. Um, so coming, you, what brought you to the point of seeking help through Al-Anon? The first time I it was quite a few years ago in the late 80s and it was my birthday and my husband went out to celebrate with his mates while I stayed home with the kids. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and uh, when he came home, there, we had an argument, as I did, um, and uh, there was a little bit of vodka left in the bottle and I was tipping it down the sink and my husband grabbed the bottle. We had a fight and he let go and um, I ended up with the bottle ending up in my face and, of course, I was bleeding profusely. But a few days later, I rang Alcoholics Anonymous and they told me there was a, a meeting up the road. Uh, for al For al yeah. um, And I went, but for various reasons that I can't even remember now, but one of them was the fact that I couldn't afford um, babysitters. Um, I didn't go back for another four years. Um, yeah, and that was because friends, a couple of mums from school, persuaded me to read a book which talked about Al-Anon. And I thought, maybe it's time to try it again. Right. So wh- how was it? How, what was it like living in that situation where you didn't have a lot of help you know, and you had an alcoholic husband? I felt um, abandoned. Uh, I felt completely isolated because I had no. I had one friend who lived around the corner from me, and um, she was a. She was really good for me. Um, I felt quite angry because I was depending on my husband to come home and help me. We were on the poverty line, and you know I was really cross about that because, you know, I had to watch the pennies, and there was barely enough to put food on the table while he was out spending money left, right and centre. There always seemed to be enough money for alcohol. For drink. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So, and as the kids grew up, did things get worse? They did. Um, although the, I reached a point one day where um, my husband came home and he um, struck me and I... I don't know where I got this, you know, we call it the higher power, I suppose. But I just had a resolve that this man was never going to hit me again. Um, And I ended up going to a a women's refuge. But again, it was was so long ago that I barely have any memories of it other than, you know, the basic things that sort of happened and being really miserable um, I know I created a lot of anxiety on my cho- with my children um, because I was always anxious um, and I was a very unhappy person very unhappy right okay which isn't uncommon no. in that situation Christian <laughs> uh, um, you came in contact with 12 step groups so how did that change your life yeah, um, I came into this. I'm an addict as well. I'm a sex addict, and um, 
I went to a program called SLAA and I started um, doing work on myself through them and I stopped blaming myself for things that really weren't my fault and I started accepting my behaviour um, especially my sexual acting out behaviour I started to realise that was my problem so I started to I don't know if it's the right word compartment I can't say compartmentalise that's the one yeah. Yeah. I put, put things in different you know I, sort of, I started sorting out the emotional mess and that was a, a great step but as soon as um, and I think it's true with most addicts as soon as you um, give up your uh, active addiction um, I just got this incredible anger and I just didn't know where it came from you know because I think what happened was I stopped blaming myself and then I realised that a lot of things that had happened to me in my childhood firstly I didn't ask for they weren't my fault I was powerless over them but I, I needed to start getting answers and I had sponsors that encouraged me to go to Alamo and the first time I went I freaked out because I remember there was this lady at the meeting and she was talking about the active alcoholic and how much trouble that alcoholic was causing in her family and her children and I didn't go back for another three or four years and it was only after I had another sponsor in SLAA who grew up in an alcoholic family and he told me you qualify for this program you know you've you tick all the boxes (laughs) it's like yeah this is for you and uh, I was like oh shit so I went and um, I went to an adult children's meeting in Malvern East and um, yeah I just started hearing my story um, and the you know it's 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 strange when you hear uh, the same feelings coming out of another person who you've never met before and it's like did we grow up in the same family or something it's it's a sublime experience and um, it's quite weird but it's also starts breaking down the isolation I've felt all my life that I was some sort of freak with you know four hunches hunches on my back you know I always felt like I never belonged anywhere but um, yeah I went into Al-Anon and uh, there was a lot of tears and um, I started putting together uh, I started to realise what happened to me. I started to realise that a lot of the stuff that happened to me as a child was not my fault. I stopped minimising it, which was incredible. I was, And that's, to me, you know, part of the first step is to stop the denial. Um, and that first step is very powerful. It doesn't matter if you've got an addiction or you're affected by the alcoholic. Once you realise that you, it wasn't your fault and there's nothing you can do about it, you can stop playing the denial thing and that just opens up all this energy that you've wasted all your life trying to minimise what your parents did to you, um, how you treated your brother who had disabilities and it just started to allow me to focus on myself and from what I gather, uh, from what I feel from Alan on, we weren't allowed, especially children, to think of ourselves. Um, because you always had to, you lived in sort of like a war zone that you had to keep yourself basically moving 
or hide. So you don't... So you're not a target. You're not a target, basically. Yeah, Yeah, you can't let anybody know anything about you that they could use against you because you become a target. You're just Mm. putting a big target on the back, you know. That's the way I felt, and, you know... um, so I don't know whether it's society or um, circumstance, but everyone around me that I knew growing up in the Chilean community had a similar sort of story. Maybe it wasn't affected by alcoholism, but that fear that was sort of brought across from South America, it's, it was passed on to their kids. I mean, yeah, I was, there might be people who disagree with me, but, yeah, paranoia was just an incredible thing. And um, I think... My dad sort of thrived in that when he he felt by um, he was paranoid, so he tried to control things, which created a paranoia in the other members of the family. I don't think he meant to do it on purpose. I think he's some sort of evil genius, but that's what happened. Yeah. 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 So what about your mum, though? Um, most people who grow up in an alcoholic family with an alco- with the alcoholic, that's usually the other, the, the spouse who's, just as bad i know my mum was just as bad as my dad but she didn't drink yeah my mum didn't drink much but she was always angry and um it took me a long time in therapy and in 12 step to accept that but my mum actually she raged and um i didn't want to see that because i think i had the the mentality if dad stopped drinking everything would be all right my dad actually did stop drinking when my uh eldest daughter was born and my oldest child now is 22 and um, my relationship with my father didn't change he found AA but I I still had all this anger and stuff and uh, if anything um, him not drinking um, the the relationship deteriorated so yeah but mum I didn't want to blame her I, I wanted to see her as a saint and she wasn't. She was just a human being trying to cope with, um, well, firstly, being a migrant, um, not being able to speak English properly, not being able to get good jobs, never knowing what her husband was going to do. A son, my brother, who had huge issues. And, you know, she, she did her best. But I wanted to minimise the fact that um, she did her best, and I shouldn't sort of cry or feel sorry for myself. But um, I realise now that that's actually just minimising my pain. And Alanon gave me the opportunity for and a place where I could express it, and no one would judge me. So, yeah, yeah, that's okay. a lovely thing about Alanon for me. Thank you. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Janina and Christian about living with the disease of alcoholism, family disease of alcoholism, um, and we're talking about coming into Al-Anon and sort of the, the change that goes that comes with realising that we're part of the problem, I guess. Um, so, Janina, you... When we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you came to Alan because you couldn't afford professional help. So, do you want to elaborate on on that and how Alan on you know what Alan on does for you? Um, 
Yeah, professional help. Well, I think I've already mentioned quite a few times how we were living on the poverty line. (laughs) (laughs) And so from that point of view, I I couldn't. But I remember seeing a psychiatrist and um, she prescribed medication for me. And especially um, I started seeing her about the same time as I entered Al-Anon and about three or four months later, she she thought I was still depressed. Um, And so that's when she put me on medication and I just thought, um, I wasn't going to, didn't want to go down that track um, because I thought there was a grieving process. Process, you know, I'd left a marriage of sixteen years, and um, I don't think it's something that you get over in, in five one, minutes. <laughs> in yeah. five minutes, yeah. and so I just thought, no, I think I really need to start feeling my feelings because, again, listening to Christian, I had I remembered that I had become emotionally dead in that marriage, just as I'd had in my early childhood. Um, and the only, like my dad, the only emotion I could express was anger. Um, yeah. yeah. And plus, uh, the other thing is you don't have the words, because you never talk about it, you don't, you don't develop the words to articulate how you're feeling as well. And so you're sort of stuck. You can't tell people how you feel because you can't use words that other people would typically use because you're unaware of them. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I remember... My two of my children who were quite young, I don't, for some reason or other, we ended up seeing child psychologists. So the children were seeing child psychologists and someone was spending time with me. And I have memories of sitting there and it was like trying to pull teeth out from their hand because <laughs> I just did not have the words. Plus, it's like letting the secret out of the bag. And, um, and I, the loyalty that's created in an alcoholic home, you know, it doesn't matter if we kill each other... Um, <laughs> Yeah. But if an outsider comes along and starts picking on anyone in the family, well, we all just bind together and, you know, attack, attack the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just felt, well, first of all, not even having the words, but then the betrayal of the family, you know, if I started talking about it, I couldn't deal with that either. Mm. Uh, so how did life change once you started addressing some of your issues and, and realising what it was about you that caused you problems? Um, well, when I read this book, I realised that, uh, and this is the book that talked about Al-Anon, and within the last chapter of the descriptive section, and uh, I recognised that I was full of self-hatred and self-loathing, and that was my biggest problem. Um, but I'd had enough experience to know that my husband was not going to give up drinking. Um, I think he had tried AA a few times once that I know of, a couple of times that I think where he may have gone. And I, it's just something he did one day where I realised that there's no way this man is ever going to get sober. And there were three children um, who needed looking after and raising. And, you know, being the res- responsible in inverted commas, yeah. <laughs> um, I realised that, you know, I had to do something about myself in order to try and raise these children with some decency, I suppose. Yeah. So did you uh, did you identify with the other people at Alaron? I did. Um, I went to one meeting and I, I don't know whether I actually identified there um, and there were lots of reasons why I didn't go back. So there was a four-year break between my first and second meeting. But the second meeting there were two women who did personal stories and they talked about violence and police and I thought, oh, yes, this is more my language. 
Um, and they, the pair of them came and spoke to me afterwards. But I think I had already made up my mind that um, this was the place for me. Right. Um, okay. Uh, Christian, back to you. Um, so you come into Elanon and you start looking at your relationships and I think the relationship with your brother was something that you particularly noted. Yeah, I came into it um, just after, after my brother died. I came into Alan. Mm. Um, with some of the work I did in the other fellowships that I'm in, um, I went to make an amends to him, which is something that 12-step people do. Um, I don't really know how to explain it. But, um, yeah, I did a moral inventory on myself. And I uh, had to apologise to him for the way I uh, felt. Sorry, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> well, it's really just coming to Al-Anon and, and starting to address your relationship issues. So one was with your brother and I guess the other one's with your mother and your father. Yeah, well, my brother told me things that happened to him that all of a sudden made sense. Um, but Al-Anon, what happened with Al-Anon is I realised I didn't have to act a certain way around my father anymore I actually had the right to be an adult and um, my dad didn't like that and we ended up falling out over it I haven't spoken to him for about 18 months actually and um, I started to realise that I had a a right to say my truth whether he believes it or not um, I'm not saying I'm out there to lie to my father but he will not and I can say what I feel, think happened to me, what I felt, and I've got a right to those things. And, you know, if Dad or anyone else doesn't accept it, well, I've, got, I've still got that right. And that's the wonderful freedom I've gotten from the program, mm. that I have a right to express my feelings. I haven't got the right to abuse people. That's not actually expressing your feelings anyway, but that's what I fought expressing a feeling was growing up in my family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Attacking someone yeah, else. The, yeah, uh, finger pointing and putting holes in the sky, you know. Yeah. That's what I thought, you know. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, my relationships have changed uh, with my daughters um, and um, even with my ex-wife. Um, and it's all... I know it's going to sound... Um, wrong but it's all about me now I can only control me um, to a certain extent and um, I have to let other people go my children are both adults now so it's um, you know I've got no I've got no power which is wonderful yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just got I've just got this thing called a higher power that helps me to try and regulate me and to do what my higher power wants me to do, but I don't have to go around imposing myself on other people, and that's that's the greatest thing I've learned from Eleanor and Twelve Step. Yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a huge relief to let that go too. Yeah. yeah, but it's not your responsibility. Yeah, no. If it starts yeah. raining outside and I haven't got an umbrella, it's not my fault. You no, know? <laughs> but before it was, everything was my fault. Yeah. Everything's connected. Everything's yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know they don't have a responsibility. I can't stress it enough. Everything was my fault, you know. Yeah. And um, 
you know, it's great to be liberated from that sort of thinking and believing that everything was my fault because there was no relief. So if everything went properly, you'd get a bit of relief. But if something slightly went wrong, like... Something it, small. Yeah, yeah. like the, the milk went off in the morning. Oh, you know. It's the world's biggest catastrophe. And um, I'm not like that anymore. No, that's good. <laughs> so, Janina, what's, what's it like for you now, being in Alaron? What sort of things do you do in Alaron that bring you pleasure? Well, I'm very happy in my life now, uh, living on my own, um, and I do a lot of service work in Al-Anon. Um, I learned a long time ago that um, the community is there to support me when I need it, and the way I can pay back is by giving back to the community. And so I've taken on, you know, there were lots of women who attended those Al-Anon meetings in my early days, and a lot of them have passed on Um but I took it upon myself that I've got to be there to open the doors for other people coming through after me. And so I, I do quite a bit of service work. Um, I'm on the helpline. Or do I go into <laughs> the list of things that I do? Um, but, yeah, I've got a, a couple of fairly responsible – well, they're all responsible jobs. So on the helpline, um, I'm an Alateen process person, which really is just administ- administrative. Um, I'm also on a subcommittee or a working party, um, changing policies or updating policies as far as child abuse and care or duty of care for our other teens. Um, And occasionally I help in the office. Okay. Sounds good. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess there's plenty of opportunities for people when they are in in Alan to be of service to other people. And as you say, it's, it's about... Pay it forward. It's don't you don't help the person who helped you get in. You help the person who you don't know. That's right. Which I think is a really you know very much an AA principle and how they started. Um, so how about you, Christian? Um, I um well, what have I done service wise? I opened up a meeting in Melbourne East for about a year, and that was great. I got a lot of. Um, positive feedback and it did wonders for my confidence because um, I needed that uh, and that's how I got paid basically through other people's appreciation and love and um, yeah it's it's so it's so beautiful to receive the um, this gift from 12 step that I've got so it's important that I try and do as much service as possible and with my recent marriage breakup, uh, it's been 13 months. I think if it wasn't for Al-Anon and to the, uh, to the other 12-step groups I attend, I wouldn't, you know, I got really down and it was it was very depressing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm alive or I'm not in a mental hospital because of, yeah. because of the, the service work I did. Because yeah. I was, um, what do they say? I was in the centre of program. I was just trying to do everything that I could to try and be of help to others. And uh, and at the same time, I was mourning the process of a 31-year relationship that had separated basically for all sorts of reasons, but primarily because of my addictions. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I can't stress enough how much uh, helping others helps you. Thank yeah. you. Okay, uh, that's about all we've got time for today. 
If you're interested in contacting Allen and Family Groups, uh, if you think they could help, then you can call them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au. I'd like to thank Janina and Christian for coming into the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and particularly for sharing their <coughs> Allen Family Group recovery experience with us. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from gambling addiction and be joined by some members of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. 